Hello, everyone. This is Joanne LaRock. This uh, podcast is dated September 11th, 2023. Uh, This podcast will be dealing with a sensitive issue of, uh, so a trigger warning for those who have experienced homelessness and substance use. So I'm going to uh, send this uh, podcast over to Chanel and uh, she's going to talk about her experience working with the vulnerable and uh, here we go. Hi Chanel, how are you? Oh good, how about yourself? <laughs> good. Good. Uh, so maybe you could talk about your first experience uh, dealing with uh, you know what you've learned in the in this area of a sensitive subject. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I should start off saying that um, my opinion is not a reflection of, of the organizations that I've worked with. Um, I won't be using any names uh, due to confidentiality and privacy. Um, this is just my own take on what I've seen. Um, of course, things have been um, exacerbated since COVID-19, the pandemic. So I know the landscape of people living on the street has changed dramatically since I've, I was um, working in research um, with evaluations and uh, research with people that either w- were experiencing homelessness or substance use uh, challenges, mental health, hardships, etc. So, I mean, things, things have changed quite dramatically. Um, however, one thing I do have to say first off and foremost is that anyone who has their boots on the ground working frontline workers um, with this population, I give you lots of uh, love and appreciation for all the work that you do uh, with the community and how amazing the work that you've done and are doing. Also, um, one of the biggest things too is that you know, the people that live on the street and the people that have had challenges with substance use, they are the experts in this field. They have the experience. They know what the gaps are. They know what is needed and, you know, what is lacking in services and how, um, basically what they need, right? So I just wanted to make sure that was included uh, at first. Um, but yeah, so I would say, you know, when I first started helping out, I was just, I was just a research assistant. So just like data collection and, you know, so, but through my experiences doing that, I got to meet a lot of people in their day-to-day lives and in their survival mode when they're on the street. So either, you know, I had followed them around and, and do, qualitative interviews so that's like interviewing them asking you know how how they get around how do they find food um how is their how is their housing what are what are their current situations and throughout those those five six years maybe i think it was more five years doing that you really get to understand how they are people just like us they have their own families their own experiences some of them went to college. Some of them went to university. Some of them One struggled. One was a former police officer. <laughs> yeah. Some people, you know, um, like they, they have mental illness too, right? They, or they have physical illnesses. They have, so those things a lot of the time exacerbates their situation, either it just being homelessness or mental illness, um, the biggest thing too I found is is that there's a lot of underlining trauma that kind of starts off this whole experience living on the street, right? So to keep that in mind, when you see someone on the street panhandling, you know, realizing that they didn't necessarily choose this lifestyle, you know, and that it there's so many so many different reasons why they are in the position that they're in, so. For example, you know, people will mention, wow, there's so many people in the street right now panhandling or there's a lot of substance use. You know, Sudbury right now, we have the third highest in Ontario per 100,000. So 
our local rate now is 55.4 deaths per 100,000 compared to the provincial rate, that's 17.6 deaths per 100,000. So between, you know, the three-year period of 2020 and 2022, more than 320 individuals lost their lives because of drug toxicity. So because of the local drug supply being contaminated, you know, so there's a lot of overdose deaths and, and um, that can con- uh, contribute to people living on the street and not being able to access services, not having specific services for subpopulations. So for, let's say, people who are Indigenous or youth or people who has a, have a history of incarceration, you know, they might want to seek that, that new life after the fact or after let's say going on methadone or suboxone or going into recovery homes or you know you name it but there are hospital (laughs) yeah or you know and like for them to even have that that next step to be able to continue on on a, a, a more positive path it's a lot it's so much more difficult so that's why I think you also see that revolving door, that cycle, right? So that's kind of what I've noticed too. But one one thing also too I want to make sure I include is that when I was going on the street and, and doing these interviews and finding everyone, they were and are the most like non-judgmental people ever. So they almost basically made me their family. You know, within that time, I was considered one of them, even though I wasn't, obviously, I didn't have the same sort of hardships, but they made me part of their street family and, and the smiles on their faces and and the little things that mattered the most to them compared to, you know, I go on the street with them and, and I would want to just hang out with them, you know, because play guitar or play guitar or, yeah, or, you know, and just, just how happy they were over the smallest things like a new pair of running shoes they get from outreach or you know um getting so excited because they're gonna go to a dentist you know like get (laughs) new teeth or a haircut or you know those kind of things and and those things we we take for granted when we have our own place and we have maybe have are making a good income you know and and many are, are just so happy to just chat with someone because I found when we did the surveys as well as your assistant to you, uh, we found out that many were just so lonely yeah, and they just wanted someone to talk with. And I, I thank uh, people that I know of, uh, including ourselves, that have given monetary donations to various uh, organizations which help the vulnerable but a lot of the time, they just want to talk to someone, mm-hmm. just to share their story, possibly, or just whatever, vent. <laughs> yeah, just talk about day-to-day life, right? I think that's so important. And we do have incredible services in Sudbury, too, that that are there for, for the people on the street on, like, basically almost like a 24-7 basis, you know? And you did get to know many uh, as on a first name basis and they became sort of like your favorites where some have died yeah and it really affected you and I was worried about you as as our daughter because some of your favorites that you grew close with uh one young lady in particular uh used to sing with you and play guitar and then another one you saw on the side of uh, Tim Hortons and he was in had been drinking and and in rough shape and Mike gave him one of his cowboy hats yeah my husband gave him a cowboy hat so kind of be, become your family they I become guess. your family when you're working with uh people that just simply need a friend yeah or but you have to act in a professional sense so what causes a lot of this that they end up on the street? Is it someone who maybe started smoking a joint at weed? No. Is that, did that become now they're going to be addicted to drugs because they might have <laughs> smoked a joint? Is that why some of them end up on the street? No, that's a, such an old school mentality way of, of 
of thinking it's it's not that at all like that's the thing it could be so many so many different things so you know for let's say opioids it could be an injury right you can get injured physically on on the job and you know you need painkillers and then this it could turn into addiction in that sense or like I was saying before it's trauma-based trauma-informed care that's what we need more of so let's say if if people experience trauma like if you think of residential schools and um, intergenerational trauma it could start from there it could start from domestic abuse what happened to them in residential schools what happened to indigenous children that were forced to go into government well we funded residential schools yeah what happened to these kids did they become were they severely abused i know the answer but i'm just asking from a point of view what happened to them and then why did they many end up well we don't know exactly what their path was but why there's a higher percentage of of um substance use like they're maybe to forget what, well what yeah that's that's that could be part of it right because of the walking wound <clears throat> yeah and then plus it the you know it could be that trauma faced by families that went to residential schools and then their kids are affected and their kids are affected in intergenerational trauma right so that's just one example because there's so many different types what if the what if the child went through foster care what if my father was in foster care yeah so what if they went through foster care what if they were in the military suffering ptsd what if they have an underlining mental illness you know bipolar like like i just said ptsd learning disabilities uh there there was a lot of that too so they end up taking medication well that could be for opioids i'm just saying but there could it could obviously be substance use or just mental illness they might not even be taking substances and can't or aren't able to um ha- acquire like safe housing or or be able to live in housing or in they don't have that support from their uh, from family or you know it could also be that too right there's so many that's the thing one person doesn't fit doesn't fit that mold that people have in their mind that society's made them to think that way everyone has a different situation they all come from different backgrounds there's all there's so many different reasons why someone would go that route or this route or that route you know we don't know so that's why services and that's why these things have to be able to address all these different needs one of the things that i just discovered recently in the last year or two is that even in Canada we're very lucky uh, and fortunate to live in this country where we have our health care covered if we're sick we go to the doctor it's paid for if we end up having surgery it's paid for but unfortunately a lot of people do not have their prescriptions covered mm-hmm. and so if they suffer with mental health issues they will in some sense uh, circumstances will not be able to pay and afford their medication needed to treat paranoid schizophrenia or bipolar. And then they end up on the street uh, sometimes. And, or there could be other reasons why, but it was a shock. I mean, you know, it should be also covered for people that need uh, mental health medication. But anyway, uh, that could be, like you say, one of the other, uh, one of the many, many reasons why someone ends up on the street. And unfortunately, many people in the public are afraid mm-hmm. of someone they see sleeping on the street. So that, I think, so I like I was saying, trauma is the biggest thing. But one of, you know, what I've been reading anyways, is that, especially lately with things that I've been working on, it's one thing that affects this population probably the most is stigma okay. and discrimination. Yeah. So it's the fact that people automatically assume that people on the street or people that are suffering with substance use, etc., are scary, or they get these these uh, let's say these negative labels associated with them. So right off the bat, that right there is what causes so many more harms to this population. So the fact that it's difficult for them to even go to a primary care provider, so to a doctor, 
because of already that negative association that the doctor might think, oh my God, this person's back in again, blah, 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 blah. They just want this. They just want that. They're, you know, that's one example. Another example is like housing. So this person might be on Ontario Works, ODSP, a landlord might not want to rent to them, let's say, or they rent to them and they might've had experiences with tenants not being respectful to housing, let's say, for whatever reason. So there's that label associated with them. Or they have a mental illness. There's that label, those labels. It's constantly these labels and the stigma that's attached to these population, these um, marginalized populations where they can't even try to even get a step forward because society has already assumed that, oh, these people are this, these people are that, these people are this, that, etc. So that is the biggest barrier I would say that this population has to go through. The fact that some people feel like it's not on us as a society to change, it's them to change. No, it's the opposite. Our our mindset has to change about this population. It's This is an epidemic. Sudbury had, when you think about it for opioids or just even homelessness, think about in during the pandemic, how many people were in encampments and in their tents in Memorial Park? Think of all those people, right? I'm just saying general when I say think, but all those people that were there and all the people that are dying of um, opioid toxicity deaths or, or poisonings, you know, like these are people that if, if society would shift the way that they think, I think we would be able to come together as a community and, and provide and with their leadership, obviously, because they're the, they're the exer- experts, but to provide them appropriate resources that are anti-stigma, anti-eviction, you know, to make sure that we can somehow eradicate the amount of homelessness, the amount of impacts and harms related to the opioid crisis if we come together as a community to shift our mindset. So how do we do that? How do we come together? Because I, with with your dad, uh, we were walking downtown and uh, we saw this cute young girl, blonde hair and a ponytail with her boyfriend and they were lit, lit, they were snorting something. I have no idea what it was. Uh, it looked white, powdery, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was just on one of the main streets downtown. And I felt sorry for them. I I thought, what could I do? I can't, should I stop them? <laughs> no. No. Uh, should I call the police? No. I didn't know. So I just walked away. So, because I yeah. did not know what to do. So the biggest thing I think, and this is just all perspective and, and opinion, and obviously there's so many things that could be done and there's so many experts in in this field so i think the biggest thing personally is first to educate ourselves about it about homelessness about substance use is is to educate ourselves about it or if they're you know even on a a more national provincial or municipal level that education piece is huge um oh i kind of lost my train of thought but yeah education and then obviously what is needed is for some way for our community to reduce the harms related to homelessness, related to substance use, right? So that's when it comes to to our city and to our province to start implementing things to reduce the risk and harms related to this lifestyle. So, so how do we do that? So that's more sort of a new umbrella organization. To no, I I would say harm reduction is the and biggest. And what is thing. harm reduction? What so is that? It's, that's a new terminology for us older folks. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's finding ways to reduce the harms. So let's just talk about opioids, right? Reduce the harms associated with drug toxicity. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so like in terms of drug toxicities and harm reduction strategies, so like a lot of times you you think of harm reduction or people who would understand what harm reduction is, you think of like, let's say, um, supervised consumption sites uh, or uh, naloxone, drug checking services, um, 
just things like that outreach so people that do outreach services that go walk around the street and give give to people on the street see like clothes or um what else do they give oh my goodness food food mm -hmm. uh the needle exchange they get out with needle, uh, hiv uh, hepatitis c testing crisis support educational maybe opportunities let's say sometimes it could be mobile and they're they're driving around um so that's like reducing the harms right um okay. So yeah, that's that's a or like let's like say even manage alcohol programs. So we have one in in Sudbury also. So and what is that? So that's like providing a safer safer environments for people that struggle with substance use substance use. So this is also supervised consumption. So is that when too. people go to get a little bit of methadone or something? Every no, day? so that's. That's like at a pharmacy. No, that's like, OAT. So that's also I I'd say considered a form of harm reduction too because it's providing them with um, medication to prevent um, or to decrease the amount of withdrawals that they're experiencing. So it is a form of reducing harms. But the I guess the biggest issue what is happening is that um, people maybe that are experiencing um, substance use are still looking for that euphoric feeling that you won't get from methadone or suboxone. And so, why are they looking for that? Because they're still addicted? Oh yeah, of course. They're still okay. they're still they're still addicted, right? So plus I this is me personally, I don't think their their dosage of methadone or suboxone is high enough for because since the the drug supply is so contaminated with fentanyl or fentanyl, you know, um, analogs that their methadone and other kind of me medication like that is not strong enough to address such a high um, opioid or opiate like heroin, let's say, right? So they're not getting enough out of, let's say, their, their medication to address it. And let's say if they go back on, they, they return back to the street supply and they use again, their tolerance to that substance is lower, which okay. also increases their, their risk of overdose also. We have a, an area in Sudbury downtown where it is called uh, Crosses for Change. And I've been there and to see the names and pictures of people that have died, overdosed in Sudbury is shocking. Uh, surprisingly, uh, your dad, my husband, noticed two names of people that were relatives of his that we didn't know that died of an overdose possibly that their name their picture is on one of the crosses for change and I photographed that area I asked permission and uh, from the mother whose son died of an OD and she uh, initiated this whole crosses for change where it is all white crosses and it's a stark reminder to all of us in the Sudbury, Northern Ontario area of the uh, high amount of people, mostly younger people who have died. I think it's between mainly like 25 and they say 45 or 20, something like that. And what is it? I, I can't remember the exact age. Um, oh, age. Like the age. Let's see. I think, it, yeah, it's 25 to 49 years old 25 to 49 so years mainly old. yeah mainly between that and uh, generally it's males so, uh, for the most part yes. there's a gap in terms of female services though but um yeah that seems to be that seems to be the highest group um <clears throat> for for the most part it looks like in 2022 we had a lot of people between the ages of 35 and 39 and it also looks like so far in 2023 that age is between 45 and 49 it seems so to be it's it's almost a, a whole generation so i find in it, that age group where there's yeah. thousands of people that are dying in nationwide and in, in the states as well uh of younger people that are dying because of opioid toxicity yeah. opioid toxicity drug overdoses what would your solution be if you have any solution? Like, I know the problem is massive. It's complicated. Yeah. 
There's so many variables for each and every person affected and for their families when they do lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. But what would, what would be one of the possible solutions for helping people like this to overcome this this disease yeah for sure and i guess this is also addresses homelessness too right i think it's like multifaceted it's like there's so many there's so many variables like you said that it, it's a system-wide change it's as systemic you know this has to be i think has to be at a higher level things have to change so like to address prohibition based laws in terms of drug use um to address so when you say that do you mean i re <laughs> i wasn't born then but my grandparents talked about the prohibition where people weren't allowed to drink for almost what 10 years in the 1930s but people still drank but they hid it and then they buried their bottles in the ground and whatever but uh what do you mean for that so that like this is kind of like a, a similar concept that was that has been going on in in different parts of the world let's say like portugal or for canada would be like british columbia vancouver so, has a yeah vancouver terrible right? problem with with this yeah high amounts um so basically so, like so when you think of like prohibition based drug policies ha has been a big factor in in impacting a lot of like public health interventions so needle syringe exchange programs naloxone um even when people want to access other services too right so people are feel fearful of if they're using substances they're fear for obviously of getting arrested say for women they're scared they'll, they'll get their kids taken away in child welfare um, they might be fearful, say if their friend or themselves are experiencing an overdose, they're scared that they might even get prosecuted because they have, they've been using or they have people there that have um, consumed substances, right? So it's finding ways to address drug toxicity through um, the Police Act. So in Vancouver, they were doing this where um, the police uh, would use ways of like not prosecuting people. So this would be like the Good Samaritan Act where um, the police will not attend a drug toxicity call unless they're requested to do so or if they're the only for, uh, available first responders. So this way, this might enhance people that are experiencing a drug toxicity event to still contact first responders. That's the biggest thing. Um, secondly, um, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, law enforcement also adopted a policy on drugs that focuses more on the harmful situation, rather like so the harms related to the people, harms related to other people involved, and the harms related to a property surrounding the drug use, rather than individuals possessing the drugs. So, so in other words, like they won't simple, get charged. Yeah, they'll get like it would be more like simple offenses. So they would get um, <clears throat> what would it? What was it again? Um, so they would get like warnings and fines, referrals to treatments. They would they would talk they would talk to the people about like accessing services and etc. The only people that would still um, receive criminal penalties are people that are like drug manufacturers, dealers, and traffickers. But this this in in a way this idea is to reduce the harms and obviously the resources from the police to go towards other other things that are going on so yeah and maybe if we can <clears throat> jump to homelessness i think um with homelessness is is to address the reasons why they are are living in that situation so even implementing more of a housing first um approach to you know this could help end homelessness that center centers on and quickly removing people who are experiencing homeless into uh, independent and permanent housing then also providing additional supports and services as needed so i think even even to to start with that and you know and many places around the world are already using this this model like finland let's say for instance has completely eradicated homelessness 
And so, how did they do that? They well, just... doing the, using this whole housing first approach. So putting, helping people navigate the system of housing and getting them into permanent housing. And okay. right when the when right when they have that permanent housing, a lot of the times it it reduces already so many so many um, struggles that they're already encountering. So it's really interesting. So, so anyways, is it a I, provincial or municipal or federal? It's all. I'd say it's all. They all. Everyone has to, and community and people that are are experiencing it firsthand. Everyone has to collaborate to make this work. So what do we do? Oh, Make sure your vote counts when it comes down to I, yeah, politics. I guess so. And start grassroots organizations. Yeah, and... grassroots would that also helps too. And that's usually which is interesting about that is a lot of times, let's say for needle exchange or I think even needle exchange, and there was something else too that they all started as grassroots. Yes. You know, so when you think about it, is that a lot of these innovative idea ideas usually start obviously from the bottom and work their way up because they're once they're evaluated and et cetera, et cetera, they're proven to reduce the harms. Mm-hmm. You know, and to help alleviate the these these issues. You know, this is homelessness and opioid crisis. It's an epidemic in our city. And why are we affected more in Northern Ontario? I don't know why. Well, like, I I think just, like, the lack of access to services, you know? Okay. Oh, so that I'd was... I'd say geographic, um, I think, you know, that's probably a big, big one, you know? A- access to primary care, access to um So the cities in Northern Ontario have to step up. Well, I, I, I guess that would be the, you know, it depends who you talk to. I think that there is some work being done towards it, you know? But I think it's just like, you know, there, there's this is happening here and, and we don't have access to the same sort of resources that Southern Ontario or other places have access to. And, you know, it, it also depends on, on our population, the type of people, the demographics, the higher amounts of construction workers here, the higher amounts of Indigenous people, the, you know, and then you start connecting those dots and being like, Oh, okay. Well, we need to have culturally culturally appropriate services. So for persons who work in construction, you're saying that labor force, because they might have been injured at work Let's and say, then start yeah. on a prescription Let's medication. say for, that's for opioids, right? Yeah. And then indigenous, because why? Well, maybe, well because we were talking about earlier residential schools and, okay. and uh, 60 Scoop and all those traumatic experiences and why do they migrate down to let's say they're from Moosonee or Moose well, maybe there's more services here but they're it's you know there's more enough. it's still not enough <laughs> it's right? still not enough so it's, it's constant yeah. so that's one more for for indigenous but um yeah it's, it's, it's so it's so complex there's so many you could talk about housing you could talk about mental health you can talk about food insecurity you could talk about education. You could talk about lack of employment opportunities. You could talk about there's so many and lack of variables. Uh, psychiatric care. Well, yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough. No. Uh, psychiatrists, uh, mental health counselors, and transitional too, right? It's like that continuum of care. Sometimes you might be referred here, but there's no, like, say people that have been to prison. You know, there's not that continuity of care after or that support or for people. That are accessing... Let's say the John Howard Society or the Elizabeth Fry. Yeah. Oh, we're lucky. Lucky we have that. Yes. But, um, you know, we have the services, but I think there might has there has to be more of that continuity. Overall, Overall that umbrella of maybe this it takes a lot of collaboration between partners and services or governments and local services or people in society and then the big overarching thing is trying to address people's stigma and labels and biases and all that stuff that has been ingrained and maybe my generation it's slowly we're have getting a better understanding because there's more educational opportunities out there for us to learn more but it's kind of to break apart all those labels that a lot of us have towards these the people that are living on the street, the people that are are experiencing substance use, you know, all that. That's the overarching thing, you know. 
So it's very complex. So if there's like different, if, if people can collaborate, maybe there could be more growth and maybe things could improve. It's too bad there couldn't be, well, let's say more communication with successful countries such as Finland or any of the other Scandinavian yeah, company, uh, countries that have done well in this in this uh, whole area, but possibly more outreach to the towards them and say, okay, how did how did you solve this problem? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's too bad there couldn't be an overall agency that helps John Doe, uh, Jane Doe from the time that they somehow walk into their agency and say, I need help. So that one particular agency can help them from A to Z to finally getting, uh, obtaining employment, to obtaining a roof over their head. Because when I did surveys with uh, the vulnerable uh, persons that I met, many were couch surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, hidden homelessness. Yeah. Hidden homelessness. They might not be on the street, but they're couch surfing at someone else's place. And or if they are homeless, they really want to work as many do, then they are one of the issues that one in particular a person told me was that he needs to be clean and there was no place to get clean unless he went to the bus station. And then sometimes the buses don't leave as early as he'd like to leave to get to a construction site, let's say. And then he goes there with no food because he can't access the soup kitchen by a certain time, uh, by a certain time. and then he, he obviously needs to eat to, because he's got to expend all that energy working on construction. So it's a vicious cycle. Many do want to be constructive workers in the labor force, mm-hmm. but then they have so many things going against hurdles. them. So many hurdles. Mm-hmm. And it, can't there be with our government, with the amount of educated, let's say, politicians or whatever, to say, okay, let's do something from A to Z to help that person want to be a working member of our society from A to Z. They want to work on construction, let's get them a ride to that construction site. Let's give them food to eat before they go and during the day and water to drink and then have a place to stay. It's it's kind of so simple, mm-hmm. but yet why can't we do that as a society? Mm-hmm. And what can we do just as regular folk? I think like it's our... just, uh, the biggest thing is educating, have that that, that right knowledge and educate, or, or just not educating, but even just awareness, right? These are people, these are community members that are struggling, you know? Like, why can't we be more compassionate and and, you know, there there must be, yeah, there must be something on our end. But like you, you hit it on the nail, you know, this there has to be that continuity of, of care from, like you said, A to Z. And these are the pros. These are, these are the people that are on the street. Those are the ones that know what they need. They know what they, they need. They know what they need and how <laughs> this could, and how this could, how things should be changed. They should be, in which they are, Employ, employed at these harm reduction services they should be the one on committees they should be the ones um you know at government tables saying this is this is how you would navigate this this is how this would work you know but they're but jumping back right to the beginning if we pivot right back to the beginning the one thing that you hit right on the nail on the head was the stigma attached yes that's the, the judging yeah there's and I find society overall, if you just go on Twitter, now X or whatever, it's become meaner. Yeah. And and the comments, the hateful uh, diatribe that's out there, it, it kind of makes you sick to your stomach. And, mm-hmm. and there doesn't seem to be the old-fashioned way. Of, and things weren't always great in the old-fashioned days because my grandparents lived through the Depression. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people would get off the train, men that were looking for work, and they'd show up at the screen door at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother would make them a sandwich. And then they'd be on their way. They knew if they went to the Millet house, they'd get fed. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be... There, there are good organizations and there are so many good people helping, but it is sad that we still seem to see and hear people utter such hatefulness. It's the general or, public. Yeah, yeah, or disdain towards <clears throat> others in a less fortunate circumstance. Well, I think it's just, I think the biggest thing too is that 
the people that are, say if they do want to go get help um, in terms of, let's say, substance use, it's just the fact of the fear of the stigma, just even the repercussions, you know, like say if you're, you have a job and you're dealing with this substance use, even just the fact of walking into a services, you know, to be like, hey, I need some help. You know, who else is going to be in there in that room? How is this all going to get out, right? And, it is and how it, it affects, you know, their social determinants of health, right? That's a big, big in, one. Another area are people that, uh, some people have PTSD from life's altering uh, events. Let's say if they were raped as a young child or a, child, uh, a victim of child abuse. But the one area we didn't talk about are people that were in the army or the navy, yeah, that too. veterans, and they had to fight hard to to receive their pensions. Yet there, for a long, long time, people even in the police force, the RCMP, they couldn't admit that let's say they were sexually assaulted, or they couldn't admit for many years there was that stigma that they couldn't admit that they were being bullied mm -hmm. at work or even from their spouse or victims of domestic abuse or assaults. And uh, so there's a lot of, there are people that are walking wounded that suffer with PTSD from life's events in their childhood, yeah. let's say. But there's people that are in particular fields such as the police or army that are veterans possibly that are suffering yeah, and that there's that stigma like I was a tough you know mil uh, general in the army but yet at night he has severe nightmares yeah. and PTSD and drinks to forget so how do we address the I wonder, stigma I wonder if it's starting I just thought of this now like because I kept saying education and knowledge and it starts with a, obviously, like um, addressing people's misconceptions, but starts maybe young, like with kids and, and well, youth. to maybe introduce it in the school system. Yeah, like how to social look work at, or... Yeah, well, just how to how to change those labels. Oh, you know, they to do talk say more about mental health in schools. Yeah, but mental health, um, drug use, like even um, like there was budgeting in your even banking. interesting like. <clears throat> there's even um apparently even using the overdose like using the word overdose is not the preferred way of use like saying it anymore they say although often used interchange interchangeably the term opioid related poisoning is preferred is the preferred word now really uh, other than overdose because overdose places the responsibility on the actual individual individual who is using the drug and could therefore lead to stigma and blame because it's saying like overdose sounds more like it's it's blaming the person for Victim's taking fault. too much. Yes. But yes. really what's happening now because of the drug toxicity, it's it's a poisoning. So reflecting the biological response of the body to the toxicity of the opioid. So if so you there's could, even that of like changing those definitions. How do you say it again now? poisoning rather than overdose so, i mean th there is some people that are saying like it, it obviously depends on the situation um i think i got a definition of that so um overdose could so an overdose does occur when a person does take too much like like i was saying which can happen accidentally especially if a person takes multiple substances they call it poly poly substance use at or, once or there's actual other drugs mixed in it mixed in like okay. say a benzodiazepine or or whatnot which is also taking over the toxic drug supply but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> um shapers <laughs> but then poisoning is when someone takes something in uh, when sorry poisoning occurs when someone intentionally gives someone else a substance that will make them sick or kill them so there's also that too so there's and different there's different terminologies out there and i think it's to try to identify which one is the correct one and so which one is the correct I, one that's this that's in 2023 I, I really i still don't know 100 percent because yes. i do agree with the fact that overdose put, puts too much of their responsibility on a person but then depends you know even reviewing the literature it still all says overdose so mm -hmm. it's confusing it's gonna, take a while. it's gonna take a while you know um to obviously in terms of the stigma and blame but i think those things will come you know Yes. I think our community has been advancing in some sense to help address health inequities 
and vulnerable populations. Um, so I think it's happening with other subpopulations, not, not in terms of homelessness or opioids, but just in general, like LGBTQ and you, there, you know, people of color, like there's like in terms of Black Lives Matters, like that's also another podcast, but I think our, our society is, is coming around and it, learning more and more. And They're learning, but I think you see different movements, such as the ones uh, yeah, in the exactly. States where there's anti-gay, yeah. anti-black, uh, different uh, states. Oh, yeah, that, that's scary. That are, but that's, That is scary. Yeah. And it, but I'm I don't just like trying to think of more of... of <laughs> I, I, I kind of just want to concentrate more on the positive, and at least yes. there's some people... You know, even in our own community, addressing uh, some of that violence and hate and those stigma and labels. and, and How do you make a society kinder or more empathetic? I, you know, it's just mind-boggling. How to, how do. Uh, if you see someone being bullied or you see hatefulness stuff written about anything, anybody on the internet, on Facebook or whatever... I try to stand up for people that I feel have been bullied. Um, I try to do that in good conscience, mm -hmm. but I've been bullied myself, and uh, it didn't lead me to take, you know, substances or or whatever. But it did lead me to to, to go towards social social work and our counseling from a social worker, which helped me a lot. But I could see when someone is in a severe state of depression what would be the first step to do so that you don't end up taking, you know, let's say drugs or whatever, or become homeless and lose everything because you become addicted or you start gambling to make yeah, extra money. That is more for a social worker. I, but how do you address a social worker? How do you call a social worker? Like luckily, th those are steps that a lot of people don't know what to do. Yeah, no, I agree. So do they contact... Uh, do they go to the hospital to say I need help? Is that would would that be the first step so that they don't end up losing their life to addiction to homelessness? Go to the hospital maybe? I don't know. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of people don't know what to do. Yeah. They don't know what to do. I know that Canadian <clears throat> Mental Health Association might be a good step. Yeah, there is a lot of really amazing, amazing organizations there. I think it's like, you know, creating the awareness of where to go. So raising awareness. So maybe where to the, go. For yeah. Not just for just the, I mean, for the general public, where to go? Where do we go yeah. if, if we're struggling with any kind of hardships, whatever they may be? So I, I think that's where the outreach workers that you had mentioned earlier would be great. Uh, they would have that forum to be able to distribute pamphlets. So pamphlets and, and information documents would be super important. Yeah. So that a person... Campaign, I think, a good campaign. Yes. But sometimes they do say it's not as effective. But if it's targeted towards, let's say, one's targeted towards youth, one's targeted to your generation, my generation... Um, let's so say, ads on Facebook, uh, well, yeah, TV promotional yeah. kind of ads. So education, if there's if there's innovative ways of raising awareness, decreasing stigma, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, a kids help phone is a help phone line is a good promotional campaign for yeah, helping or kids. Or Bell, Bell, let's talk. Or Bell, talk. let's talk. But then that's the it's a once a year thing. Yeah. And then you don't know. Okay, from there, who do you call? Yeah. Let's say if you're uh, in a situation where you might feel you're taking too much, let's say prescription medication or the bad drugs. Yeah. Who do you call? Yeah, that's so, more for addiction. Yeah. Like I think that's. Or if you're going to lose your house. And you might end up homelessness. They always say we're one paycheck away from being homeless. Mm -hmm. Who do you call? Yeah. A fine, your banker? Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, that's the no. thing. There seems to be more educate, like other educational yeah. um, venues or outlets for, for people, like promotional, you know. Yeah. As far as I know, again, in, in Sudbury, there's the Sudbury Community Service Center. Mm -hmm. That would be, be, be a good first start for persons who are in financial dire straits yeah. or have any kind of addiction that might be costly, let's say a gambling addiction mm -hmm. or alcohol, 
and they might not have enough money to keep a roof over their head and they don't want to end up on the street so they might reach out to let's say a community service center mm -hmm. who might know of someone to call or even if you are of faith and you belong to a religious organization hopefully pa your pastor your priest your yeah let's say if they might that be able to option. help you yeah there's so there's so many different options out there and i think this is a good conversation to have because even just having a conversation about this is just opening up um dialogue for other people right and, and I think for kids good... if there are any children listening or adults or teenagers listening to this that might see their parents struggling uh, maybe their their mom or dad was in the army and they're struggling with PTSD or their mother has a drug problem or the father is violent mm -hmm. towards the kids or their the the mother who calls so it's uh it's quite an interesting com uh conversation yeah which could at the end sometimes unfortunately lead into homelessness addiction so hopefully we provided maybe some answers yeah or uh, or just a way, uh, just a way of discussion, right? I think yeah, that's the thing. dialogue for for someone to talk to someone else about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Raising so, raising that awareness. Communication is so important and sometimes so undervalued. Yeah, that <laughs> you you know we just need to talk more to others about all of this. But thank you so much, Chanel, for your yeah, insight. Yeah, that was so great. Thank into you. all of this. So interesting. It's so interesting, and I learned a lot. <laughs> Even your mother continues <laughs> to learn and needs to learn, and yeah. uh, I oh, really me too. appreciate it. I still have lots of learning to do, but it's, it's so interesting. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. We all do, because there's no way anyone can know everything about anything. Yeah. But at least for this particular subject on, on addiction or homelessness or all the other issues we kind of brought up throughout this podcast that if you feel you need to call someone, reach out, call your doctor, even see your doctor, go to the hospital, look for service or agencies, your or family, talk yeah. to your friends or a trusted friend or family, someone who is non-judgmental uh -huh. if possible. And if it has to be a stranger at a drop-in clinic, at a crisis center, please go. You are loved and by someone, but if you're if you don't feel you're loved by anyone, look in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself. You are deserving of a good life. Mm -hmm. And we love you. Take care. Bye. Bye.